Who's Jesus? Has anybody ever asked you that question? I wouldn't be surprised if you said no. Because we live in a place and a culture where we assume everybody already knows. But I want you to stop and for just a second and think about if someone who had no idea who he was asked you, who is Jesus? What would you say? It may seem like a really easy answer to us. Um, but the reality that that video shows us is that that's a question that a lot of people in the world have lots of different answers to. And it's not even so much that there are some people who would say, I don't know, I don't have any idea. But there are lots of people who have answers that they think are the right answers. But all the answers can't be right. This is a question people have been asking ever since Jesus came into the world. We even read in the Gospels. Um, after Jesus was born and even the people in his own community who lived in the same place in the same time as Jesus had questions and said, who is, who is this? And they asked questions like, isn't this the son of the carpenter? Isn't this the son of Joseph? Isn't this the son of Mary? I sometimes wonder about first century and the region and the time that Jesus lived and the things that Jesus did. And we read about accounts and conversations that are recorded in Scripture, but I sometimes wonder about the nature of the conversations about Jesus that we can't read in Scripture. Like, what kind of conversations did normal, everyday people in his community have about him? The men, as they went about their daily work and tasked the women, as they would... Um, maybe go to the well to draw water and have conversations if Jesus ever came up in conversation. And what kind of conversations people had about him. Because you, you talk about people differently when they're in your presence than you do when they're not around. So I wonder sometimes, what did people say about Jesus among themselves when he wasn't around? And then even after that, there's hundreds of years of church history. If you study the first, uh, especially the first three to 400 years of the, of the church, there were questions that were being constantly talked about and, and dialogued about. Historians say that in, in normal everyday life, when you would go to the store to buy bread, people were having conversations about Jesus about what was true about him. There were theological debates going on. And in the early church, in the, in the first 400-year history of the church, it wasn't just the theologians that were having the discussions. It was normal, everyday people. And they were asking questions about Jesus like, how divine is Jesus? How human is Jesus? The balance between those. And is Jesus a creation of God? Or is Jesus God himself? And these were deep theological questions that had to be answered. And people wrestled and, and debated. And the church went through rigorous councils and meetings and prayer to try to, and, and study to try to come up with, with solid theological answers to all these questions about Jesus. And whether we know it or not, we're surrounded by people who want to know the answer to that question. 
Who is he? And even the people that don't care, even the people who say they're not interested, they may be interested if they thought there was a reliable, trustworthy answer to it. And maybe for whatever reason, the answer that we have for them isn't good enough because for whatever reason, they don't see it as reliable and trustworthy. So I want us to start looking today at seven statements that Jesus made about himself. If we want to find out who Jesus is, maybe the best source is to go to Jesus and to see exactly what he said about himself. And there are seven statements in the Gospel of John that are often called the seven I am statements of Jesus that are unique to the Gospel of John. Because the most important source of information about Jesus is Jesus. Um, Everyone has a take on who he is and what he came to do, but the closest that we'll get to knowing who he is and understanding why he came was to see what he said about himself. And so before we look in the Gospel of John, we're going to look in two places. We're going to begin in the Gospel of John in chapter 8, but before we do that, we've got to go back to the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 3. So if you'll find that first in your Bible, um, the story um, in Exodus is the story of God's call to Moses, right? To the people were enslaved by the Egyptians, and God calls on Moses to lead the Hebrews out of slavery under Pharaoh. Now, now we remember the overall story of Moses. We don't want to go through the whole, the whole life story of Moses, but we understand that he was born, he was a Hebrew. Um, and because of the decree of the Pharaoh to kill all of the Hebrew baby boys, his mom took him, hid him away from the Egyptians, put him in the basket, put him in the river, you remember. And then the daughter of the Pharaoh found him and decides to take him in. And so he's adopted into the family of the Pharaoh. And he grows up as a, as a prince of Egypt. And he is, um, the older he grows, he begins to learn about his own identity and who he is. And he identifies with the suffering of his people. And in, um, in the beginning of Exodus, we see an account where Moses comes across a Hebrew who's being tortured and beaten by one of his Egyptian taskmasters. And it angers Moses so much that he kills the Egyptian hides his body, but then he finds out people are hearing and know about what he's done. And so in fear, he runs and he, he flees Egypt and he goes to a land called Midian. And he stays there for a long time. But in chapter 3 of Exodus is where we see God's, Moses' first encounter with God. And we know that story as the story of the burning bush. And you remember Moses is, is out in the wilderness, he's shepherding a flock and he sees this bush that's burning but it's not being consumed and obviously that is a strange thing to see and so he goes to try to figure out what is that and as he gets closer, he hears God call to him from the bush and God calls him to return and face the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh now is in power, is different than the one who was seeking to try to kill him when he killed the Egyptian, that Pharaoh is dead. There's a new Pharaoh in place. And God says, I want you to go and free my people. I want you to bring them out of Egypt. Go to the Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go free. 
God says to Moses, I've heard the cries of my people and I'm rescuing them from their oppressors and I'm using you to do it. Quite a, quite a high call. And so Moses obviously is scared. He's, um, he, doesn't, he doesn't understand how he could do something like that. And so if you look in verse 13 of chapter 3, let's start reading there. Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. It says, then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? Verse 14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to, say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. So what do we normally do when we feel God calls us to do something big? We, we return with a whole bunch of questions, don't we? We come back to God with lots of questions because we, we think, no, something, something's got to be wrong here. Uh, why are you asking me to do this? And we come back to him with all these questions. And so Moses does that. And this is one of the questions that he comes back with. He says, when I go to your people, when I go to our people and say that you've sent me, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me what your name is. And what do I say? Now, don't you think, this can seem kind of strange when we read it if we, if we don't do a little bit of digging and studying because it seems weird that Moses would think that the Israelites wouldn't know what God's name is. You think, well, of course they know his name. Um, he was called Yahweh. He was called Elohim as the, as the God, the creator, but he was, he was known as Yahweh among the people. So it's not that they didn't know what he was called. Moses didn't anticipate, the question he didn't anticipate was who is this God? That would have been a question that the Egyptians may have asked, that the Pharaoh may have asked. If, he, if, if Moses had gone in before Pharaoh and said, the God of my people has sent me to say, let my people go, that's a question that Pharaoh might have asked, who is this God? Because there were multiple gods in their culture. And he would have said, who is this God? What's his name? Which, what, which one? Most, um, the Pharaoh would have been looking for a title, a name, an identification of some kind. But that's not, when you look at the Hebrew, and it takes a little bit of digging and studying, and I'm going to try to, try to give you the gist of it as, as easy as I can, the question they asked was, what is his name? And that Hebrew term that's used for what there in that question is a word that, that seeks after significance, quality, or the essence of God's character. It was not so much that Moses didn't say, if I go to him and say, you've sent me, they're not going to know who you are. I need to tell him your name. 
The question, what is his name, was the question, what do I tell them? What do I say when they ask what you will be for them? The question Moses anticipated, because you understand, you see in the question when he asked God, he says, what do I do when I go to, your, go to the people? Not Pharaoh. He says, when I go to the Israelites and tell them you've sent me, what do I, what do I say? And it wasn't that they didn't know God's name. They didn't know what to call him. Moses said, what they're going to want to know is, what will you be? What is there in the name of God that will get us out of the circumstance that we're in right now? They knew what he was called. What they, want, what they wanted to know in that question, what is his name, is what does the name of God mean for us now? We're slaves. What, what will the name of God do for us? Who is he? What's his essence, his character? And how is the character and the nature of Yahweh going to impact where we are right now? That's what the people wanted to know. And isn't this the question that everybody wants to know about God? They know the name of Jesus. They know the name of God. It's not that they don't know what to call him. What they want to know is, what does that name mean for me? How does it matter? In the middle of whatever circumstance I find myself in, so what, almost, is the question. So what? There's God. What does that mean? They know what he's called. They want to know what he will be and who he will be in their life. And so God gives Moses an answer in verse 14. And what he says is very important. God says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, I'll be honest with you. At first reading, the first time we read this, if we've never really paid attention to it, we may think that God sounds a lot like our parents. Doesn't he? Because when we ask a question like, well, why do I have to do this? Because I said so, right? Because I said you have to do this. Or if you've ever been driving in the car, on the, going on vacation, and one of the kids in the back says, when are we going to get there? And dad says, we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> right? Like Mr. Incredible. <laughs> he says that. We'll get there when we get there. Or when are you going to do this? Well, I'll do it when I, when I do it. And we roll our eyes and we go, oh, that's just, all that is is avoiding the question, right? You just don't want to give me an answer. And we might read that and think that maybe that's what God's doing. Maybe he's trying to evade the question. Maybe he's, he's, he's being sarcastic with Moses. Maybe he's being sarcastic with the people because that sounds like what would come out of my mouth if my kids asked me a question that I expect them to know, but they don't. I am is his name. When you, when, you, when you read again, when you look into the language of the Hebrews, God was not evading the question, but actually he was doing the exact opposite. 
God was giving the most full, complete answer he could possibly give to that question. I am is his name, and in that name is all of God's identity, his character, his authority, and his power. When God said, I am is my name, he was saying that he is not dependent on any other thing or any other circumstance. He's independent of everything. Now, to to help you maybe sink that in a little bit, And no, well, how is that different? We use the phrase I am all the time, right? If somebody asks you who you are, you might say I am so-and-so. You'll say your name. If somebody were to ask me who I am, I might say my name's Eric and I'm a pastor. I'm the pastor of First Baptist Lindale. But that I am statement is conditional and dependent on you. I'm not a pastor without you right I may say I'm the husband of Kim Welchel and I would say that proudly but if Kim Welchel doesn't exist I'm not a husband I'm not her husband it's it's my identity is dependent upon her my identity as her husband depends on her You see, my identity as a pastor depends on you. I can say I'm a father, but without my three boys, I can't be a father because that identity that I have as a father, one aspect of my identity is dependent upon them. And I, even if I say my name is Eric, well, that name was given to me. That, that name is dependent upon my mom and dad. When I was born, they decided, what are we going to call him? And they gave me the name Eric. So even the the word that people use to refer to who I am was given to me by somebody else. Therefore, my identity as Eric is dependent upon my parents. But this is what's different. Every time we say I am, it's a statement of false sufficiency. Every time I say I am or you say I am, it's always going to be dependent upon something else. And it's impossible for us to be anything self-sufficient, but not God. When God makes that statement and he names himself and says, I am, he's saying, I am fully self-sufficient. There is no equal to me. There is nothing for me to be compared to or there is nothing that draw that I draw my identity from you understand how big that is you understand how important that important that is there is nothing outside of God that determines anything about who God is therefore God is the only one ever that can stand and say I am and put a period on the end of it He is the only one that can say that because he has no equal, nothing that can be compared to. Also, the tense of that language, when God says, I am, there is no future tense and there's no past tense to it because he reveals his nature. Um, If you remember Revelation chapter one, verse eight, 
What does God say of himself in Revelation 1.8? I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. The one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. So not only is he, he he's self-sufficient, not even just on any circumstance around him, but he is self-sufficient from time itself. His existence doesn't even depend on time. He transcends everything. You understand? So when God says, I am is my name, there's nothing that can top that. There's nothing more superior. There's nothing more self-sufficient. There's nothing more independent. There's nothing with more authority than to say, I am, period. And no one can say that except God. So in this answer, he also gives Moses promises. Because he's saying, I am the one who truly transcends everything. I am the one who will be fully present in the situation I'm sending you into, Moses. Because if you go back to verse 12, God says to Moses, I will certainly be with you. So there's a promise. That I am statement is tied to that promise that God makes to Moses and says, I will be with you. I will not only certainly be with you, I will be with the people because I am the I am. There is nowhere where I am not present. I am with you so it's a promise of his presence, but then there's also the promise of completion in that. Because also in verse 12, he not only says, I will certainly be with you, but he says, this will be a sign. You will all worship God at this mountain. God was saying to Moses, if you, you want a sign that what I'm telling you is true, that I am the I am, and that I'm sending you, the sign will be one day you and the people will be free from slavery and you'll be in this very spot and you'll be worshiping me. That will be the sign. That will be the proof. So God not only says, am I completely present in the circumstance that I'm sending you into, Moses, and I'm completely present in the circumstance of the people, I also will bring to full completion everything that I have planned because I am. Definitive. No question. You remember in verse 15 there in chapter 3, God also says this. Once he gives Moses his name, he says, this is my name when? Forever. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. So God says, this is who I am. And every generation is to know me as the I am. Now I want you to flip over to John chapter 8. Toward the end of the chapter, around verse 51. In John chapter 8, there's a dialogue that's going on between Jesus and the Pharisees. And this is common in the Gospels. We see this over and over. They come to Jesus. They're quizzing him. They're asking him all sorts of questions. And basically in this chapter, if you sum up everything that they're, they're drilling Jesus about, the answer to the question they want to know is, who are you? 
Where did you come from? Who do you claim to be? And what does that mean? Again, the Pharisees knew he was called Jesus. There was no question when they say, who are you? They're not asking him, what do people call you? Because they knew that. The question that the Pharisees are asking Jesus in John chapter 8 is similar to the question that Moses said the people would ask him when he went and revealed that God had sent him to them. They don't just want to know your name. They want to know who you are. The Pharisees said, we know your name. We know what everybody calls you. But we want to know who you really are. And they believed that he was a liar. And they call him such in John chapter 8. They say, what is your identity? They knew who his mother was. They knew who his father was. But who are you and what are you doing here? Look at John chapter 8, verse 51. Let's just start in verse 51. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Then the Jews said, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you claim to be? There it is right there in verse 53. We don't understand. You're talking crazy talk. Who do you claim to be? Basically, in our vernacular, it would be something like, who in the world do you think you are? Verse 54, Jesus says, if I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My father, about whom you say he is our God, he is the one who glorifies me. You do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. Strong words from Jesus. But I do know him and I keep his word. Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews replied, you aren't 50 years old yet and you've seen Abraham? Verse 58, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. It wasn't his time. But do you understand why verse 59 happens? As soon as he says, before Abraham was, I am. They knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew what God said in Exodus 3. They knew it. They had memorized it. And so as soon as Jesus says, I am, and he evokes the identity of Almighty God, the I am from Exodus, and he associates and, and, and makes himself 
the I am proclaims himself to be the I am, they pick up rocks to try to kill him immediately because there's nothing in their mind more blasphemous than that. He just called himself God. And we read it and we go, yes, sir, he absolutely just did that because that's absolutely who he is. In their seeking of Jesus and who he was, they heard him say something so powerful, so profound, and so offensive to them that it made them want to kill him on the spot. The same name these men knew as the identity of God, Jesus had just attributed to himself. And as Jesus said in those verses before, this was the, it was so offensive to them because he claimed to be the God that they said that they worshiped. And he claimed to be the God that they said that they knew. And Jesus straight up said to them, you don't know him. You have no knowledge of him. You know his name. You know what he's called. But you don't know the I am. Because he stands right here. And if you knew my father, you would know me. They were rejecting the very God that they claimed to be living for because he was right there with them in his full divinity, in his full humanity. John chapter 1, if we go back to the very beginning of John, John, one of the most beautiful, one of my favorite passages in all the New Testament is John chapter 1. But flip back to John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. John begins his gospel by outlining the identity of Jesus as the I am. Verse 1, in the beginning was the word, the logos. That is, that is Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was not a God. He was God himself. Verse two, he was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not overcome it. John's writing in a time when when Greek and Roman philosophy was, was huge. And the concept of the word, the logos, was already something that philosophers were talking about in his day. They had a concept of this, this, um, this truth, this immutable truth that existed in the universe and it was a philosophical idea But John knew that Jesus, being the I am, being the one that supersedes and, and transcends all things, was saying to, to that, that group of philosophers and to everybody who had ever known what, about the concept of the Logos, he says, I'll tell you who the Logos is. I'll tell you who truth is. And this is who he is. And that's what the entire gospel is about. Jesus is the great I am. 
And when we sing songs like we did this morning, they're all about Jesus. He is the one who truly transcends all things. He is the one who is fully present in the situation, in the circumstance, whatever we're in. He is the one who will fully complete all things. Just as John says in chapter one, there's nothing made or created that wasn't made by him. When we get to the end, he is the alpha and the omega. It means he, he will bring everything to full completion. There are no untied strings. There's nothing left undone in the end, and it's all in Jesus. And you say, well, why does this matter? I want to I wanna leave you with one big point that I think will be sort of the introductory foundation for all of these statements we're going to read through there are seven statements and every week we're going to look at one through the gospel of john and say who did jesus say that he says i am this i am that constantly going back to that to that reference here in chapter eight going back to exodus the name of god but here's what you say well what does that matter to us eric here's how it matters for every who am I in us, there is an I am in Jesus. Think about that for a minute. For every who am I in us, there is an I am in Jesus. Because if you go back to Exodus and you read that encounter between Moses and God, what Moses literally says when God says, I'm calling you, to go and lead my people out of Egypt, Moses says to God, who am I to do what you've called me to do? Who am I? I feel like that's a question we ask all the time. Maybe not out loud. But our lives are full because we aren't fully transcendent like God. Our lives are so much dependent upon people and circumstances and things. And the identity that we have as people is very limited and dependent upon things. And so when those things or those circumstances, when, when we lose our job, when we lose what we're known by, if we're known by our possessions and we lose them, we're known by our family and we lose them, we, we're known by all of these external things that we're dependent on. And when those things disappear, we lose our identity. And we say, who, who am I? And there's, when there's a lack. And sometimes we go through different seasons of life where there's different things that we're lacking and we need and we don't, we don't have them. And we ask that question, who am I? In all of these seven I am statements, there's an I am statement that Jesus, I feel like Jesus says for every time you ask the question, who am I? The answer is in me. Jesus says, I am when you aren't. I am when you can't be. I am when you don't want to be. And we recognize who he is. 
The limitless and timeless nature of the I am is the complete and full reply of whatever we are not. So I don't know what your circumstance is. I don't know what kind of season of life you're going through now, but it's probably very easy for you, just like it would be very easy for me to to tell you what I'm not right now. But what I hope you'll see over these next several weeks, and I hope you've even seen this morning, is for everything that I am not, everything that you are not, Jesus says, I am. 